There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 21 of the Digital Freemason podcast for the week of Monday, March 27th, 2006. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on my journey through the world of short Masonic educational papers. Many of these papers have been presented in my lodge, King George Lodge, number 59, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This week's episode is just a quick in and out. Uh, got a lot of other things kind of cooking here, but just wanted to make sure that I got an episode out to you. So I hopefully next week we'll have more time to sit down and do a little bit of research and think about more of what it is that's going on versus just uh, plunking something under the air and throwing it into uh, onto the computer. This um, episode is called The Nuts and Bolts of Freemasonry. It was originally written and presented in 1975 by worshipful brother Walter Calloway Jr. So with no further ado, let's get a little Masonic education underway. While Freemasonry is a beautiful system of morality, it has its fraternal machinery, made up of many component parts including nuts and bolts. From time to time the machinery requires inspection. There are many Masonic mourners going about the streets today who are singing sad songs about the impending demise of our ancient brotherhood. We are being warned that Freemasonry must adapt its philosophy and its ways to fit the times, that we must be relevant in today's world. Some claim that, in the interests of time, the ritual must be shortened to the point of emasculation. Some of the lectures should be abolished because they are quite time-consuming. There are many who want to see the Masonic graveside rite eliminated because, at times, it causes conflict with certain clergymen. These are but a few of the lamentations being heard from those who do not seem to have time for the craft and its ancient ways. One of the most rewarding Masonic assignments is the foreign correspondent of one's Grand Lodge or chairman of the Fraternal Relations Committee, or by whatever style the job is denominated. In my own Grand Lodge of Georgia, the position is spelled out as a one-man committee, foreign correspondent. One of the major duties of this office is to receive and review the proceedings of all the other Grand Lodges in fraternal communications with one's own. This position affords a high vantage point from which the correspondent is enabled to keep himself abreast of Masonic development across the United States and in many foreign countries. It has been my pleasure to serve as the grand, my Grand Lodge as a foreign correspondent for the last seven years. During that time, I have been able to observe and to learn of Masonic affairs the world over. It is a delightful Masonic assignment for one who is interested and concerned. According to the Masonic scholars, Freemasonry dates back some 600 years or more. It originated in, operative, in an operative form prior to the year 1390, when the Regius Manuscript was supposed to have been written or copied, whichever the case may be. This means that for more than six centuries, Freemasonry has waxed and waned in this world of ours. Sometimes it has reeled with a bloody head from the blows from church and state. In our own country, Freemasonry is persecuted with merciless ferocity during the Morgan frenzy. But the craft has outlived all its enemies, just as truth will always outlive error. And what, we ask ourselves, has been the secret 
the whys and wherefores, the reasons that have brought the principles of Freemasonry through all the vicissitudes of history during the last 600 years past. There have, been a, there have to be logical explanations for this. Every man, to his own opinion, may, may we never see the day of dawn when the freely expressed opinion is denied to any man. In my view, Freemasonry has survived as a living force for good by its rigid adherence to the landmarks throughout the years, by compliance with the ancient customs and usage of the craft, by recognition of the precept that it is not within the power of any man or body of man to make innovations in the body of Masonry. The system of morality which we call Freemasonry is clothed in the habitaments of truth, which is invulnerable to successful attack from without or within. We have little to fear from attack by external enemies. Through the centuries, they have stormed our walls without success. I don't know of any internal enemies to the craft who would deliberately seek to destroy us, but we do have those in our ranks who, with the best of intentions, would disrupt Freemasonry as we have known it and make innovations to the point of changing our gentle craft into something other than Freemasonry. I speak of those who would permit solicitation for candidates, those who regard size of membership as a criterion for lodge success or, fa or success or failure. Since the Masons' gold rush days of the late forties and early fifties, when petitioners were coming from here, from there, from and from everywhere, and our lodge and grand lodge officers, with some exceptions, became enamored with the sheer force of numbers of new members, there had to be almost a mystique about the size of membership. One may read all about all the written material on the philosophy of Freemasonry ever printed without once finding the size of membership is a laudable goal of the craft, or that a lodge with 100 members is necessarily better than a lodge with only 50 members. The energy expended by those who moan over our loss of membership would be better put to use if those mourners made an in-depth study of why we lose so many members that we already have. Why do we... Why do so many permit themselves to be suspended for non-payments of dues? Why do so many members never return after they have been raised? Why do so many entered apprentices never return after that degree? Such an investigation, I think, could produce facts which might be embarrassing to the Lodge and its leadership. If there is a heel of Achilles in the structure of Freemasonry, or in the practice of Freemasonry, I should say that it lies in the failure of the Lodge to hold the interest or to educate the newly raised candidate in the degrees of Freemasonry. From the time he is raised, he is given a few instructions on the floor of the Lodge and is then dismissed to the sidelines by the Master with a perfunctory parting shot. Come back as often as you can. You'll get out of Freemasonry only what you put into it. Such a statement is not true and tends to mislead the new brother into thinking that Freemasonry is some sort of a tit-for-tat arrangement. The master should inform the new member that he must stand his examination on the master's catechism. Then he should inform him that there are that there exists out there a great wide world of Freemasonry, and that he, the new brother, should learn all he can about his fraternity, that he should participate in it, that he can be profitably spend the rest of his life learning a little at a time something about the craft and what it stands for, and that extends far beyond his lodge, his state and even his country. He should be informed that ritual is necessarily a means to an end and should not be regarded as a sum total of Masonic education. 
Such is the occasion when we have a golden opportunity to stimulate an unquenchable thirst for Masonic knowledge, something that should be imbibed in all candidates for Freemasonry. It is my personal view that it is quite impossible for a man to advance in Masonic knowledge without at the same time becoming a better and more useful member of the craft. Can a citizen study the lives and times of our founding fathers without becoming a better patriot? All this is not to say that it is to be expected that each Freemason who reads Masonic books will become a Masonic scholar. But at least he should read enough to know at some of the basic facts of the origin and general philosophy of Freemasonry. He should learn to tell the difference between fiction and the fact in Masonic literature. To effectuate any improvement in any system of Masonic education, it is necessary that our communications be improved, member to member, lodge to lodge, grand lodge to grand lodge. With your permission, a personal point is made here. Your speaker was made a Master Mason in 1939, and appointed to the West Chair in 1940. Occupational difficulties incidental to World War II caused me to drop out of the line on two occasions. Finally, I became Worshipful Master in 1953 and served my term in 1954. About five years later, a new secretary to the lodge handed me a tract and said he thought I might be interested. It turned out to be a short talk bulletin of the Masonic Service Association. In some 21 years as an active Freemason, this was the first time I had ever seen or heard of a short talk bulletin. In recent years, it has been quite noticeable that serious effects are now being made by Grand Lodges to inculcate more Masonic knowledge on the members and provide proficiency on officers and ritualists. Most Grand Lodges seem to have adopted rather vigorous programs to improve such practices. It is all gratifying and encouraging. Nothing but time can tell the results. But we would point out that there is no end to such activities. To be effective, there must be continuing generation after generation. In my own Grand Lodge of Georgia, there is now under investigation an aggressive program of Masonic education and lodge leadership. A conference aimed at wardens, but including other lodge officers, is held at the center convenient to lodge officers of the North and Middle Georgia each November. Another is held in the extreme Georgia for the benefit of wardens and others in that area. Emphasis is placed on leadership in the lodges, and these are held before the annual lodge elections in December. To each newly raised Master Mason, the Grand Lodge presents copies of the publications The Lodge System of Masonic Education, which is a 90-ish page document explaining the basic philosophies of the Three Degrees. The Masonic Etiquette is a 58-page booklet explaining rules of behavior, decorum, and the like. All through the year, meetings are held in specific areas of Georgia's 12 Masonic districts under the direction of the State Chairman of the Lodge Leadership Program and assisted by one of the four area directors. Educational-type articles are printed in the Grand Lodge monthly publication, The Masonic Messenger, which goes out to all 96,000 members in Georgia. Georgia, like so many other jurisdictions, is making great efforts to catch up on the long slack in Masonic education. There are many components, component parts in the whole system. All of them are important. But let us not forget the common nuts and bolts. They, too, are important. So there we have uh, Worshipful Brother Macaulay's thoughts on Freemasonry and the nuts and bolts that keep it going and glued together. Again, I apologize for... Uh, 
being a little bit quick in and out on this one. So I just want to take a little moment, quick moment, to thank you for listening to The Digital Freemason. I've been your host, Scott, and I have enjoyed our time together. If you'd like a transcript of this podcast, please visit our, our website at www.kinggeorgelodge.com. If you have any comments or ideas for further podcasts, please feel free to email me at podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope you have a very good and safe week.